so focused on something that you totally missed something else that was really important? Thank you. <laughs> uh, this past summer, Brenda and I, we're on our way up to uh, one of the youth group retreats. And uh, it happened to just be she and I in the car. Uh, there was a whole caravan of cars that were driving up there. In fact, uh, we were actually uh, the lead vehicle. And I know directly following behind us uh, was uh, our summer intern, J.D., uh, who was in college. And he had all the supplies uh, in his car. And uh, we're driving up. And it was probably about an hour away. Um, and as we're driving, uh, Brenda and I just got into a really good conversation. Don't even remember what it was about now, uh, nothing in particular, but uh, we're talking and laughing and just enjoying each other's company. It's just the two of us. And all of a sudden, we both kind of looked at each other and said, uh, I think we missed the exit. And uh, we hadn't just missed the exit, we had missed the exit three times over. Uh, we were about 12 to 15 miles beyond where we were supposed to have gotten off. So uh, we had to then drive another couple miles just to get to the next exit so that we could turn around and drive all the way back three more exits to get off where we needed to. Uh, if you've ever done something like that, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell them the time that you totally missed something important because you were so focused on something else. I'm going to give you a second. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor and share a time that you've done that. There's enough conversation happening in here uh, that I can see I'm not alone. I'm not alone in overlooking something important. Uh, myopia is the scientific or technical name for nearsightedness. A couple weeks ago, we uh, started having the conversation uh, in our Turn Your Eyes series, and we talked about uh, the need for a pair of cheaters, or at least my need for a pair of cheaters, right? Reading glasses so you can actually see stuff that's up close. And we were reminded from God's word that uh, his word is actually a pair of cheaters for our lives, right? They help us see clearly what's in front of us. In fact, uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, uh, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And we were reminded that we need to pay attention to those things that are right in front of us so that we can stay on God's path. But it's not simply important that we know what's right in front of us. We also need to be able to see down the path so that we know that we're actually on the right one, right? Because life throws all kinds of forks in the road, doesn't it? And if all we're doing is looking down at our feet, when that fork comes up, we might not know which one we're supposed to take. Myopia is what you have when you can see things up close, but you can't see things down the road. And Today, God wants us to take a look at some stuff in our own lives that will help us see down the road so that when those forks in life come up, we'll know which one to take. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. Uh, we've got a couple of folks in the back that would love to grab one for you and uh, just hand, hand you one. You can follow along, so just raise your hand. We'll make sure somebody gets it for you. Uh, 
Before we dive into our text this morning, though, um, I want to tell you why we exist as a church in a roundabout way. Uh, there's a number of awesome churches in Grand Rapids, right? And when Jordan and I were really praying about, uh, and, and certainly Brenda and I especially, if we were supposed to plant the church, uh, and if God was actually calling us to do that, uh, where uh, we would plant a church, uh, we asked the question, does Grand Rapids really need another church? Right? I mean, that's a, that's a fair question to ask, a good question to ask, to be honest. We spent a lot of time really praying about that, wrestling with that, because Grand Rapids has lots of churches. Uh, certainly, Grand Rapids has lots of church buildings, okay? Um, but Grand Rapids doesn't only have a lot of church buildings, it does, uh, but Grand Rapids also has a lot of really good churches. Does GR need another church? Uh, there was a number of reasons that God convinced Brenda and I, because quite honestly, uh, both of us initially, but Brenda especially, was like, no, GR does not need another church. There was a number of ways that God convinced us that actually he did want us to plant the church, and he wanted us to plant one in GR. There's a whole host of reasons I'd love to give to you, but I can't this morning. But as we were asking the question, though, does GR need another church? And then when we felt like God was saying, yes, I want you to plant, and I want you to plant in GR, because we weren't even sure. We knew God had wanted us to plant the church. There's all kinds of reasons for that. Uh, people... Uh, uh, New churches tend to uh, reach unchurched people in a way that uh, established churches don't. Uh, new churches usually uh, mean that people actually that maybe were kind of complacent in their faith actually have to kind of get off the sidelines and get involved because uh, the church doesn't function without that happening. Uh, there's a whole host of, but we were like, all right, but does GR need one? So we prayed about Lansing. We spent time in Lansing. We prayed over the city. We spent time in Detroit, prayed over the city. Jordan and Dana actually came with us. Uh, Jordan and I uh, flew down to Tampa, Florida, and we prayed uh, and walked around Tampa, Florida. We actually went there in February, and I was like, Lord, send me. <laughs> like, your servant is willing. Um, <laughs> but God, God highlighted over the course of a number of months of fasting and praying and talking to different people that he wanted us to plant the church here in GR. Uh, I, I will admit to you, I did not want to move to Grand Rapids uh, 19 years ago when God called us. Uh, I grew up in Chicago when I was a little kid, and then Flint from then on. Brenda grew up in Philadelphia. We're both like city people. We were living in Chicago at the time. I love Chicago. Like I'm a Bulls fan, a Bears fan, a Cubs fan. If I got to watch hockey, I'm rooting for the Blackhawks, all right? Like those are my teams. That's my jam. I love Chicago. Every time I drive in on the expressway and all of a sudden the city just like explodes into view right there. I'm like, oh, I, just, I love it. And they told me, when people heard that we were looking at a church in Grand Rapids, all right, everyone's like, Grand Rapids is a great place to raise a family. And I knew what that meant. All right, that was insider speak for super boring. Okay, that's what, that's what that meant. Okay, and, and uh, we had op opportunities in Chicago, uh, some different churches there, opportunities in Southern California, opportunities in Northern California, and Grand Rapids. And God called us to Grand Rapids back in 2001. And we showed up. We, uh, we bought our first house. We were living downtown in the city. It was our first weekend here. And we said, hey, let's walk downtown and get a bite to eat. And so we did. We walked downtown 
and nothing was open. It was, in, it was a total ghost town. Back in 2001, GR was boring, all right? It, nothing was happening. But now we feel like we've grown up with the city. Uh, we feel like uh, we've seen the city grow up. And now it's like great craft beer, great food, great art, great entertainment and music. And the place is hopping and it's alive. And this is a place people want to be. And, and you could put me on the board of tourism now for Grand Rapids. Like I love GR. I think it's one of the greatest cities in our country. Like I love the place. I'm so glad God called us here. But at the time, I wasn't sure. And then when we were praying about it again, whether we were supposed to plant the church and where, and God kept saying over and over to our hearts, GR, we felt so fortunate to be able to come back. But God was also pretty clear. He said, hey, uh, I've got a lot of great churches in GR, but I still want you to go and plant one. And he helped me understand that we weren't uh, a one-man band. Uh, we, uh, we recognize that there are a number of awesome churches in our region, in West Michigan. And what God said is, I want you to play an instrument in the orchestra that is my kingdom. I want your church to play a particular instrument. You've got a particular melody that I'm calling you to, to play in concert with all of the other churches that my spirit is working through to build the kingdom. And friends, there is a need in Grand Rapids for more good churches. And so when God called us here, we were like, yeah, it's awesome. We wanted to come. But then we started asking, well, what, what exactly are we supposed to play? Because we knew we couldn't just come up with whatever we thought our church was supposed to be. Like, it's not Torrance Church. It's Jesus Church. And so we knew we're not going to look completely different from every other church, quite honestly. If we looked completely different from every other church, uh, we're probably not a church. Okay? Because Jesus decides what his church looks like. And we all share a lot of, same, of the same qualities. But here's what Jesus does. The reason that he called us here is because... He knew that the people he was gathering had certain experiences and giftings and passions. And that when we came together, he was going to call us to do some things that only we could do. That other churches in our area aren't going to be able to do because they don't have me and you and us together. And so as we started to really think through that, that's how our values came about. Not because they make us different from every other church. They don't, quite honestly. Uh, you could probably find uh, our seven values scattered a bunch, uh, among a bunch of different churches. They, they wouldn't have every single value the way that we say them because that's the song God's asking us to play in his choir, right? That's the melody he's asking us to play in his orchestra. But there are other churches that are passionate about diversity and other churches that are passionate about community, other churches that are passionate about God's presence. And if you started to list all of ours out, you would recognize that we play a role, but it is our role to play. And if we don't play it, nobody else can. One of our values is owners, not renters. Owners, not renters. We're not a place for spiritual spectators. We collectively own our health, growth, and mission and invest what we have to see it take place. Let me talk a little bit about this, though, okay? Uh, we don't have membership here at TLC. Uh, we have something different called ownership. Owners, not renters, all right? We want you to have an owner's mentality, not a member's mentality, right? Because we're members of a lot of things in our society today, aren't we? You're members of the Y. And as long as the Y gives you what you want, right, and doesn't ask too much of you, 
you might continue to be a member, but only if they give you what you want. You're a member at Sam's Club or you're a member at Costco. Well, only if they're providing the things that you want. You see, there's a different mentality when you're an owner. You see, a member says, what can the organization do for me? An owner says, what can I do for the organization? Now, it probably sounds like I'm, uh, I'm dropping some shade on every church that has membership, doesn't it? I'm not trying to do that. That's not my point. But my point is we want to have that mentality that says, hey, I'm not just here for what the church can do for me. And as soon as the church stops doing the things that I think that I need, well, I'm peacing out. That's a consumeristic mentality. We want to have a mentality that says, hey, uh, we're here because God's called us here. This is our family. This is the mission that he's called us on. And we're going to step day by day into that mission. We're going to invest what we have. We're not just going to sit back and see what the church is going to do for me. Rather, we're going to see what I can do for the church. Now, we say we're not a place for spiritual spectators, which I get can sound maybe a little bit offensive at first, right? Because some folks are like, yo, yo, I don't even know if I like you. Like, it's my second time here. Okay? We're like, we get it. All right? Some of you, you you've been hurt. Okay? Uh, we, we Christians, um, we're, we're human beings. And uh, sometimes we say stupid stuff and do stupid stuff. And uh, we can hurt one another. Sometimes we even do it on purpose. I have. It saddens me. It hurts me. I feel bad about it. Uh, most of the time, though, if I hurt somebody, it's not because I intended to. It's, it's, it's just because I did it inadvertently. And if you've been hurt, okay, and you're looking for a place to heal, maybe you've been away from church for a long time. You're like, I don't even know if I can trust them, and I'm here. Look, we, we hope that this is a safe place for you. Come, man. Check it out. See if Jesus is who he says he is. See if we are who we say we are, if we're actually trying to follow Jesus. That's cool. But I also want to say something to you. Um, you've been given gifts if you are a follower of Jesus. Uh, they're called spiritual gifts. They're literally supernatural abilities. And if you ever like wanted to be a superhero, look, be a Christian. All right? Because that's literally what Christians have. Christians have supernatural abilities. Things that you couldn't do on your own power, but that God supernaturally works through to accomplish something that only he could do. All right? The reason you have them is because I need them. And the people around you need them. And you will experience some of the greatest things in your life when you're willing to utilize them on behalf of others. That's why God gave them to you. So if you were hurt, right, and you went to the hospital, right, let's say you got a broke hip, okay? They're going to bring you into the hospital and they're going to help fix your hip and then I said in the first service, in two to three days, they're going to have your butt up and walking. A nurse came up to me afterwards. She's like, no, that's not true. And I was like, oh, my bad. She's like, it's two to three hours. She said, two to three hours, they will have your butt up and walking. Okay? Now, they're not going to ask you to run a marathon on day two. Okay? We won't either. But the truth is, is if you got hurt, I might not ask you to run a marathon right away, but I am going to say you need to get up. Why? Because if you're still laying in a hospital bed six months after you got to the hospital, that means that you're actually doing worse than when you came in. It's not healthy for you. Doctors ask us to do the hard things, not because they hate us, but because they actually care about us and they want to see us be healthy. And so that's why we say we want you to be an owner. Look, get to know us a little bit if you're brand new. That's fine. 
But don't come and just sit in the back and think, well, it's okay, everybody else is going to do what needs to be done, and I can just come and consume. We flat out say, look, we are not the church for that kind of a person. Why? Because we actually believe that we're doing you a disservice. We actually believe that we're contributing to your lack of health at that point. We're making you sicker spiritually, emotionally, communally. And so we say, look, we're going to do what we can to help you engage in your faith so that you can experience the life that you were always intended to live. Now, what we have found is that if you don't have a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging, you will not stay here or anywhere long term. All right, if you just show up and you're consuming, you enjoy it like you like it and all, but if you don't have a sense of purpose, that you're here for a reason, you have a reason to be here, right, which often comes in how we serve and engage, and if you don't have a sense of belonging, a place of community where people actually feel like family and they can actually know if you're here or you're not here, they care about what's going on in your life, they can ask you the tough questions, right, you won't stick it out. Look, some of you, uh, you love our worship, and, and you should. We have a glut of stupid amount of worship talent. It's, it's insane, the musical talent, the technical talent we have here. Uh, we should not have that, a church of our age and our size. It's God's grace. But one day you're not going to love the worship here. Let me tell you why. One of the things we say is that we are a church that is passionate about reaching the next generation. Okay? That means that we're going to continue to do things that are reaching the next generation, which means that things here are going to change. It's not going to happen immediately and overnight, but it will, at least it better happen if we're going to do what God's called us to do. That means that if you love the worship right now, 10, 15 years down the road, you might not love the worship because all of a sudden it's not exactly for you anymore. It's for the people coming up behind you, right? The more uh, the more we grow, the older we get, the more mature we should be. The more mature you are, the more sacrificing you do for those coming up behind you. We have to set that example because one day they're going to be in our shoes and they're going to have to sacrifice for those coming up behind them. And they need to set the example for those coming up behind them. That's what discipleship is. And if you don't have a sense of purpose and belonging, when, when something shifts in the, in the worship, you're going to be like, oh, it's not for me anymore. Maybe you like how I teach the Bible. Like, oh, I like how Torn does, I like the way that he says stuff. If you're here because of that, I can promise you, in fact, it might even happen this morning, I'm going to say some stuff from God's word that you're not going to like. Because I say stuff from God's word that I don't like, all right? So I can promise if it's just about that, then one day it's going to come and you're going to be like, I, I, I don't really care about this. But you know what? Good friends tell us hard things. If they're really good friends, right? A good friend will say, yo, man, you got some food in your beard, right? A good friend will say, yo, uh, your fly's down, right? A good friend will say, yo, you got your jeggings on backwards. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not that anybody's ever told me that. But good friends tell us hard things. Doctors, doctors have to say hard truths, but it's actually for our good, for our flourishing that's what an owner looks for. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. In Matthew chapter 6, we find ourselves in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? 
Uh, this is probably Jesus' most famous teaching that he gave that's recorded. Uh, it's a pretty long teaching. It starts in chapter 5, goes to the end of chapter 7. We're kind of in the middle of it. And uh, Jesus is going to talk about money. Follow along. Matthew six nineteen, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus starts off just by saying, hey, uh, don't store up things on earth that you know are going to fall apart. Now, I, I will admit, I like things, okay? So I really have to pay attention to what he's saying here. Ooh, boy, I'd be loving me that Amazon Prime, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay? I love learning new things, right? And if you want to learn new things, it often means you've got to buy new things, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bargain hunter, and I never think something is useless. I think it will always have value, so I'm also what's called a hoarder. <laughs> uh, my wife drives her crazy, but I like things. But you know what Jesus is saying? Is, Yo, don't, don't store up all these things on earth that you know rust and mice and time, even thieves are going to come and destroy it. They're going to take it away. Like, that's not going to last. And he goes on, he says, instead, but, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where malls and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The things that we store in heaven, nobody can touch, man. They're going to last for eternity, forever. He's like, don't store up all this stuff on earth. Rather, store up stuff. And I can remember, like I understood what it meant to store stuff up on earth. But I didn't always understand what it meant to store stuff up in heaven. Like, what, what kind of stuff? How do I do that? Well, if we had um, read just the passage prior to this, the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus actually talks about three things, three very practical ways that we can store up treasure in heaven. He says we should give to the poor, we should pray, and we should fast. Admittedly, I'm not awesome at any one of those three. But I'm working on it. Why? Because I know that when I engage in those things, which are not for my own well-being, I'm actually creating uh, things that are for my own well-being that will last for eternity. Now, I don't think that those three things are the only three ways that you can store up treasure in heaven. There's all kinds of ways. Those were just three examples that Jesus gave. He's like, hey, when you give, don't tell everybody. Do it in secret because your heavenly father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Hey, when you pray, don't go out into the street corner raising your hand. They go into your closet and pray because your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. When you fast, don't walk around talking about, oh, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. You, you go and, and you put on oil, you do your hair, and you act like everything's cool because your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And then Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth, man. That stuff's going to fall apart. Rather, store up things in heaven. That stuff's never going away. Continue on, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, man, is that not so true? Right? I mean, when you start thinking about the stuff that you think about, you'll realize where your heart is, right? Sports teams. Stinking lions. Stinking bears, really. Fashion, your pet. Some of y'all got Instagram pages for your pet. 
your kids, your hobbies, your friends, your job, your schoolwork, your social media pages. And all of those were things that I thought of for myself. Because those are all things that I've spent lots of time thinking about at various points in my life. Some of them still today. And my guess is there's a few of you that might resonate with some of my list. The truth is, is that we think about the things that we love and value, right? We give attention to the things that we love and value. Now, let me say something, okay? I don't believe that God is anti-hobby, all right? God put us on this earth. God created work for us to do. He's given us different gifts and passions. God has uh, given us a, a creative uh, heart where we love to create things and learn new things and engage in new ways. God loves for us to enjoy all that this earth has to offer. He wants that for us. God is not anti-hobby, but God is anti-idol. Okay? God is not anti-hobby, but he is anti Idol. So anytime that we put our focus on things or prioritize things above that which he has asked us to prioritize, we raise things to the level of gods. And things become idols. And that can be anything. Your kids, your job, your hobbies, your social media, your pets, whatever. When we prioritize it above what God has asked, asked us to prioritize, Raises to the level of that. God said, right, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Those are like the two things we're supposed to prioritize. So we pay attention. All right, well, what are we actually then prioritizing? You see, when, when we don't put things in proper pri priority, we find that we lose the path. Th those forks in the roads of our life come up, and, and we can often take the wrong one. Verse 22, this is when things get a little weird. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What in the world is Jesus talking about? This is weird, right? I mean, he's, I get like the whole like give to the needy and pray and fast. And then we get to this section. He's like, yo, don't store up treasure on earth. You should store up treasure in heaven. Right, because nobody can take that away, and wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about eyes and light. I remember I used to read this passage uh, quite a bit, and I hadn't really studied it. And I used to just kind of skip over this part, like, I don't get it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So when I actually studied it, I, I started to find some things. Uh, for, for Jews and Jewish literature, the eyes and the heart are closely aligned. Okay, So healthy or good eyes are contrasted with unhealthy or bad eyes. Now, the options for understanding what eyes symbolize here in the passage is this. Uh, healthy eyes or good eyes uh, often symbolize generosity in some Jewish literature. Okay, so uh, he's basically saying if you have generous eyes, that's a good thing. You'll be filled with light. And, and if you have greedy eyes, that, that's a bad thing. You'll be, you'll be filled with darkness. Well, there's another way of understanding the, the symbolism here of eyes, uh, and it's this. They could also mean that the eyes, the good eye, right, the healthy eye, is an eye that is singularly focused. And a bad eye, an unhealthy eye, has divided loyalties. All right? Uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Wilkins, he's a New Testament scholar, uh, he says this. He actually kind of thinks it's the, 
the latter of the two in this particular instance. He says, since the heart is the true repository of treasure, the heart is where we keep the things that we love, right? He says, Jesus now indicates that when the eye focuses on something of value, it becomes the conduit that fills the heart with what has been focused upon. If the eye is good, it is the conduit that allows the heart to be filled with the light of God's treasure. I, I talk about this all the time, right? That I want to be filled up with Jesus so that when I bump into somebody, I do what? Thank you. Spill Jesus on them, right? I want that for you guys, too. I want us to be so full of Jesus that when we bump into somebody else, we spill a little bit of Jesus on them, right? I didn't know that it comes straight out of this text. But this is exactly where it comes from. If I'm looking at Jesus, then what I'm focused on becomes the conduit that fills my heart. The problem is, is I look at Torin a lot, way too much. And so I find myself way too often filled up with Torin rather than with Jesus. And so sometimes I bump into people and I spill Torin on them, and it's not a very pretty thing. What you look at is what fills you up. What you look at is what fills you up. We got any Friday Night Light fans out there? What's the, what's the phrase? Come on, say it. Yes! Yeah, Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. You watch that, coach tells it to the team, you're like, Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Like, you're ready to go, like, run through a... I actually did a little bit of research um, to find out where the phrase came from because it became such a famous phrase for them. In fact, quite honestly, if you've never seen the TV show, you've probably still heard that phrase. Clean eyes, full heart, can't lose. Uh, turns out that the guy who wrote the series was talking to a, an assistant football coach at a high school in Odessa, Texas. He heard him mention it, and he wrote it in, and it became like the phrase for the series. Now, uh, I don't know who that guy was. There's no way to track him down, know uh, anything about him. Uh, but I got to believe that his pastor had just preached on this passage the week before. Because that is the perfect illustration of this passage. That, that's, that's exactly what it's talking about. Clear eyes. Clear eyes to Jesus becomes that conduit where we fill up with Jesus. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is just flat out saying that we cannot pursue him and something else at the same time. He's talking about money here, right? You're like, ah, oh, it's church, they're talking about money. Yeah, he's talking about money because it matters. There's a few things in our lives that can help us get a temperature gauge on what we're actually focusing on, okay? Jesus is talking about money here because it's probably one of the main ones. I think as Americans, there's probably three things, and I'm going to ask us just to do a little exercise and evaluate. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything. This is just a little bit of you and God time, but the reality is, is Jesus says we can't pursue him and pursue something else at the same time. It's one or the other. So, I want you to think back on 2019 and just simply ask yourself the question, what was kind of the driving force for what you did in 2019? 
going to ask you three areas to think about. How much time did you spend serving God's kingdom this past year? I'm not talking about TLC specifically. I'm just saying God's kingdom. All the different ways that he wants you to engage in it. How much time, right? Because our time is one of our most important resources that we have. It's one of the things we value uh, almost more than anything else. 2019, how much time did you spend serving God's kingdom? 2019, how much money did you invest in God's kingdom this past year? Again, I'm not talking about TLC specifically. I'm just simply asking the question, how much money did you invest in God's kingdom this past year? How much time in this past year did you talk about God's kingdom? You see, I think that there's, those are kind of the three things that we value the most. Our time, our money, our words. We're very thoughtful about what we talk about. How we spend our words on social media, with coworkers, with family and friends. We're probably a little less <laughs> thoughtful sometimes with family. We really care about our money. We really care about our time. Man, I knew I was going to come to church and he was going to drop a guilt trip on me. They always do that. They talk about money. It's a guilt trip. Man, I hope you don't feel that way. I really don't. Uh, first and foremost, because it ain't me, it's Jesus. So if, like, if, you, if you're mad about something, don't be mad. I'm just a messenger, okay? And the truth is, is I, I get mad sometimes about the things Jesus says too because they hit me just the same way that they hit you. I'm no different. I don't think Jesus says these things because he just simply wants us to feel guilty. I think Jesus says these things because he actually cares about our health. He wants you to experience the, the greatest life you possibly can. And so when he comes and talks to us, it's not about guilt. It's actually about helping us find life. That's what he's about. That's what he wants more than anything. And quite honestly, I want that for myself, and I want that for you. So I'm not going to shy away from saying the things that I think are actually going to help us get there, that are actually going to help us be owners. Let me reiterate the three things that Jesus says in this passage. Stuff we accumulate on this earth will go away, period. I need to hear that so much more. I like stuff. Number two, what you choose to focus on will determine what you value. And number three, you can't serve God and also something, anything else, especially yourself. Uh, I posted this picture uh, a couple weeks ago on social media. Seven ways to ruin your life in your 20s. Do whatever you want. Live beyond your means. Feed an addiction. Run with fools. Believe your life is all about you. Live for immediate gratification. Avoid accountability. That is a fantastic recipe for how to destroy your life in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and any point in your life right there. You're like, why in the world did you bring this up? What does this have to do with the passage? What does this have to do with the value owners, not renters? Well, friends, our church is intended to be the antidote to these pitfalls. Our church, the church you are a part of and have committed to, is intended to help you avoid those pitfalls. And when you fall in, to help you get out of those pitfalls. Our church is supposed to be that antidote. And our owners is actually how we 
come around each other, alongside each other, and commit to one another, to holding each other accountable, to having that singular focus on Jesus. Will any of you be perfect at it? No. Because I certainly am not perfect at it. But that owner's agreement that we talked about of being an owner, not a renter, is how we say to one another, hey, we're going to do this together. We're going to help each other try to be singularly focused so we don't just sit on the sidelines, so we don't get spiritually fat or actually spiritually unhealthy, so that we can actually come alongside one another and call the best out of each other. That's the church I want to be a part of. Why? Because I need it. It isn't just because I want to tell you to do it. It's because I need you to tell me to do it. Like, I want to be a church. Can you imagine, man, if we had a church full of folks that were passionate about owning the mission that God has called us to? What God could do in us and through us? Come on, man. I'm just, like, we've had so many cool stories of ways that God has been moving. How much more if that was all of us? Now, uh, there is a... uh, there is a, a saying that, that I want to tell you about it in, in just a minute. But before I do that, I, I want to share with you the results of that survey that we asked you to take in December. Remember we all took a bunch of you, uh, we had 230 people that took that survey back in December. I want to tell you some of the results because uh, we're not perfect. We have not arrived. we got a long way to go. But I was encouraged with some really cool things. And I want to share some of those with you, Okay. Uh, one of the things we said we wanted to be about was we wanted to be about reaching the next generation. Uh, friends, about 80% of our church is under the age of 40. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, quite honestly, we didn't include the numbers of our kids' ministry. And if we did that, we'd probably be closer to almost 90%. That's unbelievable. We're doing the very thing that we ask God Uh, to help us do, the very thing we felt like God was asking us to do. Uh, Here's what I'm praying for, though. I'm praying for a bunch more people my age and older, though. Like, legit, okay? Because those of you in your 20s, you need examples and models of people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s that can show you what it looks like to faithfully live out your life in the workforce as as a single person, all right? As a married couple, someone raising kids. You need models and examples. And so I'm praying that God... We'll raise up more Clavers and Gallaghers and, and, and Britons. And I, we need that in our church. We want that in our church. But how cool is it that that's God's doing in us and through us what, what we believed he was calling us to. Uh, this is also cool. We said we wanted to be a church that helped people engage uh, with the church for the first time or re-engage with the church again. We wanted to reach folks that were de-churched or unchurched that basically said, I don't think the church really matters anymore. Uh, according to our uh, numbers, um, about 22% of us, almost a quarter of our church wasn't attending church before they started coming to TLC. That might not sound like a lot, friends. Uh, we would probably be one of the uh, top churches in the U.S. Uh, for reaching folks that, that were de-churched or unchurched. Like that's, that's crazy. And you know why that's happening? That's happening um, because you are... Well, I'm going to get there in a second. Uh, hang on. Let me tell you something else. 18 people gave their life to Jesus this past year. 18 people. Like, that's awesome. You can clap for that. Uh, that doesn't just affect 18 people, okay? Uh, my grandfather, when he became a Christian, uh, there was only one other person, I think, in his family at the time that was a follower of Jesus, okay? 
That transformed generations to come, friends. So that's 18 people that generations are going to be impacted because of the way that you have loved and cared for folks, that you have invited folks in. Uh, continue with me. Uh, almost 70% of you have invited someone to come to church with you this past year. Almost 70% of you. Have, that, that, what that says is that you don't think we're weird. That literally, like that, and that's a great thing. One of the things that I try to give you is a no weird guarantee, all right? We're going to do our best to not be weird, all right? So when we talk about stuff, we'll try to explain it. We'll fill you in on things. I won't get too crazy, okay? I'm like talking about LASIK surgery. I know that weirded some of y'all out last week. So, uh, But that actually says you trust us. And I think that's a really cool thing. And, man, that's making a difference. The fact that almost a quarter of us didn't have a church home before you started coming to TLC that probably happened because somebody here invited you. Somebody said, hey, I want you to see what God's up to. God's doing something in my heart, in my life, and I want you to, to know it and be a part of it. <sighs> Friends, that's amazing. All, all right, almost half of you here have decided to become an owner. About 45% have already signed the owner's agreement and said, yo, we are in. What God wants to do at this church, we're a part of it, and we're going to invest ourselves, our lives, our resources, our time, our, our passions, our talents, our experiences. We're going to invest it. Friends, that's amazing. And it shows uh, about 40% of you are giving financially on a regular basis. I don't know why I said you, us. 40% of us are giving on a regular basis. That, that I, it sounds crazy, but that's not a bad number. Now, I still think God's got some work to do uh, for all of us, but that's a great thing. Almost half of us are serving on one of our serve teams regularly. Friends, that's amazing. About 60% of us are currently involved in a local group or a small group outside of TLC where we're getting real engaged community. We all need that. Lone wolves die. Jordan said that earlier. We can't do life alone. We weren't created to do life alone. Friends, that's awesome. God's doing some really, really cool stuff here. I'm so proud to be a part of this church. I really am. I love the fact that the things that we sense God was calling us to, God's actually doing. He's showing up. We've got work to do. We are not there yet. We have not arrived, but we've got stuff to celebrate. Uh, this is the phrase. Many of you have probably heard it before. You almost always overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in ten. You heard that before? I, I, I did. I can remember in those first couple months, I was like, oh, like, I want us to be here, and we're going to be doing this, and a year came, and we weren't even close to all those thoughts and dreams, and, and I was like, ah, well, it's good, but, you know, and we're like two and a half years in. We're not even three years old yet, and I'm like, holy cow, like, this is amazing. The stuff that God's doing, what's happening, uh, the, the people that I know that are here that are using their gifts and talents to build up this body and are actually showing it in their communities. So many stories I wish that I could tell you that I don't have time for. And I love it, I love it, I love it. I can't wait to see what our church is going to be like in year 10. I, can't, I, like, I, I don't even think I can begin to imagine what it's going to be like in year 10. Friends, I want to do this with you. Jesus said if our eyes are good, our whole body will be good. I want us to run hard after a singular focus on Jesus because when he is our focus, our lives get filled up with Jesus and then we spill Jesus on everybody. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. That is so true. So what I'm going to ask us to do right now is I'm going to ask us to pray this prayer. 
okay? It's going to be up on the screen. We're not going to pray it out loud. You're going to pray it yourself as I read it, if you're willing. Let me tell you why praying this prayer, I believe, matters. If we go back to the very first story that I shared this morning about Brenda and I missing that exit. Do you remember what I said? We were the lead car, and there were cars behind us. You see, the problem is when we get off track, when we get off the path, there are a whole lot of folks behind us in our physical family, in our spiritual family, that are watching how we live, that are watching what we're about and what we're pursuing. And they are modeling their lives, both consciously and unconsciously, after us. And so we want to lay down the kind of model that we would be thrilled for our kids, for our spiritual kids and our physical kids to follow behind. That's why I believe this matters. And so this prayer is going to be up on the screen. I want you to read through it. Now, I'm not going to ask you to pray it out loud. You're just going to pray it in your head. But here's the deal. Uh, you need to actually want to pray it. Ain't nobody going to know if you pray it or not. But here's the deal. You don't want to give God permission to do something that you actually don't want him to do. So be real careful if you're willing to give God permission to do this. But I hope that together we will Father, I am so easily distracted by things that don't matter and won't last. Forgive me. Jesus, give me clear eyes to focus my life on you, on the good deeds that you have saved me for. I want to serve you. Help me. Spirit, I want to set a great example for those coming behind me both in my physical family as well as my spiritual family. I give you permission to transform me. In Jesus' name, amen.